Hi, I'm Johan Martinez Kalilian. As an executive coach, I time travel with people. I help people create their future from their future. One of our guiding principles as coaches is how future-based language transforms the way the world occurs to us. In other words, the way you speak about tomorrow shifts the way you look at the world today. It also shifts how you interact with that world. Join me as we write a letter from the future with love. Have you heard of the abundance mindset? It's a popular idea to talk about that has become a bit of a buzzword. You hear it talked about on social media, in churches, at yoga classes, and yes, in coaching sessions. In its simplest form, it's a paradigm that highlights the notion that there is plenty for everyone. Now, I don't know why, but as I say this, I can almost hear Oprah saying, I feel like this is what people think about when they think of abundance. My good friend, fellow executive coach and CEO of Novus Global, Jason Jaggard, isn't a fan of how misused the word is in popular culture. It's a concept that has been watered down and trivialized for the sake of social media likes. Then there's scarcity, the supposed arch nemesis of abundance. But what if there's resource in scarcity? Today, Jason and I will discuss how scarcity can, in fact, be beneficial to your growth and development. Developing a healthy perspective on abundance and scarcity can in turn change our outlook on the way we operate and achieve our goals. Are we in tune with what's scarce? How can we be more resourceful with what's scarce? And what is the opportunity in scarcity? I was thinking, you know, when the pandemic first started, there was a scarcity mindset when it comes to toilet paper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Well, I like that. That's a that's a that's a fantastic point. There are two different parts of scarcity. One is a scarcity mindset is where we either a mistreat a scarce resource, which I think most people don't think about when we think about scarcity, or b mm -hmm. assume something is scarce when it isn't. Right. And the, the toilet paper is a great example of that. We were in no danger of not having things to wipe our rear ends with, but people went nuts and created a scarcity actually with a scarcity mindset. And created fear within everybody else, right? So now everybody else is going to like scoop up toilet paper because, wait a minute, do they know something I don't know? And before you know it, there's no more of that thing for people. Yeah, there's a run on the market. And that's, what, that's the contagion of being afraid of the wrong thing and or being afraid in the wrong ways. It's not like there wasn't a legitimate virus, but people had a lapse in logic of what that virus meant for them. And I think that's that's the thing that's most interesting to me in the conversation about scarcity and abundance is, are there healthy things to be afraid of? Are there unhealthy things to be afraid of? Is there is there a healthy way to be afraid? Or, or do we relate to fear sometimes in an unhealthy way? And I think that the answer to all those questions is yes. Since you're a time traveler, right? So the first question I'll say is, you know, do we have enough toilet paper in the future? <laughs> There's more than enough. <laughs> There's more than enough. So guys, if you're well, listening, don't worry about that. Well, here's my thing. So when, when, oftentimes, when the, I think the beef that I have with the ideology and sometimes the religion of abundance is a detachment from reality. But sometimes things are scarce. Yeah. And actually, scarcity isn't always bad. Right. 
So like as an example, you have one daughter. She's your, she's your only girl. She's your only baby girl. And that, which means she's scarce. She is a scarce commodity. There's right. only one of her, of the 7 billion plus people on the planet, there's only one Isla. And for you to treat her as scarce, and I think it's not a coincidence that in English, in English that scarce and sacred have a kind of a shared etymology because to treat something as scarce is to treat it as sacred, to treat it as mm-hmm. valuable. We've, and we tend to value things that are scarce, you know? So like I'm a fairly expensive executive coach and I only work with a, few, a small group of people. The fact that I only work with a small group of people makes me scarce, which makes me more valuable. Sometimes I'm, they're willing to pay for it because I'm a scarce resource, you know? Mm-hmm. So scarcity isn't always bad. And for you to have an abundance mindset with your daughter is like, you know, if something bad happens to Isla, hey, no worries. Like maybe the universe will give us another daughter. That's a really interesting way. And I do feel like people kind of look at it that way because they have what they will call an abundance mindset. Therefore, they're not really good stewards of what they have because they just have this, oh, well, you know, there's always, there's more fish in the sea. There's always, I don't worry about it. And I think the abundance mindset is a fantastic mechanism for decreasing anxiety, but it isn't always necessarily a great mindset for increasing stewardship. It sounds like there's a bifurcation of knowing what is scarce and then how to honor that and then knowing what things are abundant and how to maximize that. One of the things I tend to replace the word abundance with is resourceful. I I don't really perceive myself to have necessarily an abundance mindset, but I do perceive myself to be resourceful and they, they, they mimic each other. They are similar, but it seems like they're different. And even as your listeners are listening to this, it'd be interesting to get their feedback on what the difference is because I believe that there are resources available to me to accomplish what I want to accomplish I just might not always be seeing them. But I believe that just because I can't see a resource doesn't mean that it's not available to me, which I think sounds like an abundance mindset. you know. But at the same time, I think with a resourceful mindset, when I do find those resources, there's a degree of cherishing that resource because I know that resources are scarce or I'm fortunate to have that resource. So I guess there's like a gratitude for the resources that I access, which for some reason feels different to me than some of the abundance language that sometimes I hear. When it comes to abundance, sometimes what it, the, at least the abundance messaging that is really popular, it's actually disconnecting people from reality. I think it can. I think sometimes it can. And if you really love the abundance framework and you're listening to this, I think that's a question that would be good for you to ask yourself. Where is my abundance framework or my allegiance to this kind of ideology possibly keeping me from working hard or uh, advancing and or cherishing the things that I have or whatever. And if the answer is nowhere, then that's great and good for you. You have a, a healthy version of this. But I think oftentimes I see like in the memes and everything, this is a generalization, but oftentimes the more I see them post about abundance, the less initiative I see them taking in their own lives. Mm. Not all the time, but oftentimes. There's a few people I know who are super initiative and they talk about it. But I think sometimes it actually, it's like the secret, you know, like because a person believes that they can attract things into their life through vibrations of energy, they're less likely to like apply for a job. Well, and and so if on a simple level, you know, as you talk about scarcity and you frame it to be like, hey, it's a, it's the fear that we don't have enough. Yeah. And so sometimes that's actually reality. Sometimes we don't have enough of a resource, and that's why we need to be very delicate with it. We need to have the the sacred frame around that resource because there literally is not enough. And then sometimes we have more than enough, but we treat it as if it's going to be gone tomorrow and it's yes. not the case. So let's flip it and and say on the other side, sometimes we act as if 
there's an abundance of something, right? Yep. Like we're, yeah, it's always going to be here. There's more than enough. And that's not the case. Yep. So would you say like for you, what's the healthy definition of if we don't want to call it abundance, that would be one thing. What would you call it? And then what's the, the resourceful definition of it? Again, like I don't want to hate on the word too hard. And maybe it's and maybe it's a, a way of describing the universe, and I mean that in the literal sense, like the physical universe, not in the mystical sense. And versus describing it as a behavior, and so and this is what I mean. So like abundance is a belief you have about the universe. The way that I tend to relate to it, and you mentioned my generosity, which is a, a huge value for me, and I have I have room to grow, but I believe that growing in your pursuit of generosity is one of the best ways to steward a life. Like if you want to. If you want to be an expert at something when you die, generosity is one of those things that it'd be great for all of us to be experts at. And so I take that seriously. And so, you know, I do it okay, but I, I have room to grow and I really enjoy learning more about how to be generous well. The word that I use for generosity for myself is conduit. So even with our firm, I don't necessarily think about with all the coaches in our firm, I don't think about how much money I want to make for myself. I think about how much money I want to have flow through me to mm -hmm. others so I want to be a, I want to be a conduit of wealth to others, and I think that people who see themselves as conduits of wealth have an abundance mindset, but it then it it redistributes the thing for me behaviorally what I tend to do. And if we're doing you know if we're talking from the future, imagine a future where everyone saw themselves not as a keeper of wealth but as a conduit of wealth. And where the object of the game isn't to see how much money you can make for yourself, but the object of the game is to see how much money you can ger generate through yourself towards others. And to me, that's a really exciting thing. Of course, the cool thing about being a conduit is you get to experience all that wealth because it's flowing through you, but you don't have to feel the, the need or, the, or the, I suppose, the scarcity of trying to capture all that wealth for yourself. Right. As you relate to the idea of wealth, do you feel like when it comes to something like money, you're like, hey, I have more than enough right now? Yeah, for sure. So, and uh, you know, I have friends who I really respect. I was having a conversation with a guy named Ben and he's just, he's a very, very talented businessman. Doesn't have to work a day in his life ever again if he doesn't want to. And uh, worked really, really hard. He's a Cuban, Cuban immigrant. His family worked really hard. Did very, 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 very well. And I was asking him like, how much is enough? And he says, here's the thing you gotta understand is, it's never going to be enough unless you decide something's enough. So there is no like actual answer. You just have to decide X is enough and then live. Yep. And that's probably a butchering. If he's listening to this, he said it more eloquently than that. So I decided in my heart, just kind of how much is enough for me. And I want to make sure that I bifurcate that because I think a lot of people choose careers and they're like, this is enough. And they get into a fixed income situation and they're not maximizing their wealth creation. When I mm -hmm. decide my, my decision of how much is enough for me, isn't how much is enough for me to create it's how much is enough for me to keep. And I think a lot of people, when they're thinking about wealth creation, they're trying to answer how much is enough for me to create. You know, so you say, how much money do you want to make? They're thinking, how much money do I want to keep? And then they're, and then they're kind of like, I don't want to make anything more than what I can keep. Why would I do that? Why would I work harder than I need to? But for me, I don't look at it that way. I look at it like, okay, I want to be a conduit of tens of maybe hundreds of billions of dollars I don't expect to keep most of that. I don't expect to keep maybe even 1% of that. But if I have the capacity to create that kind of wealth, why not do that? Just because you have the capacity to create wealth doesn't mean you have to keep all of it. And, and by the way, I'm not saying that I want to give it all to the state. Like I'm not like necessarily 
I'm happy to pay taxes, but my mind, just in case people are listening, like my mind isn't going towards, and then, and therefore I'm going to give it all to the government or whatever. I'm a big fan of Chuck Feeney who gave away $8 billion before he died. He, he gave away all of his money before he died. And that's really inspiring to me. And so then it's like, okay, how can I create a lot of wealth and then give it all away? And, and he revolutionized the country of Ireland, Australia, Vietnam is a radically different place because of his philanthropic ventures that he gave all of his money away there. And that's really inspiring to me. The belief in true abundance leads to resourcefulness. The belief in bubblegum abundance leads to a whole lot of sitting around and waiting for good things to come your way. It's like going on a talk show waiting for your, you get a car, you get a car, you get a car, everybody gets a car moment. If you're listening to this and you believe in abundance, how does your belief shape your choices? How does it propel you into action? How does it catalyze your resourcefulness? If it doesn't lead to resourcefulness, maybe you believe in magic and wishful thinking more than you do in abundance. Maybe you think God, the universe, or Oprah is just going to give you what you want without actually showing up and being willing to sweat, sacrifice, and risk for it. Have you ever said, if it's meant to be, it'll be? Or I'm, I'm waiting for my blessing. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but that way of thinking, it isn't always resourceful. It can actually be repressive. It can strip us of our power and relegate us to being the type of people who sit and wait instead of going out to create. Putting in the work matters. Showing up for the game matters. Being resourceful towards what we want matters. That's the gateway to abundant living. Most of us are willing to put in the work, but only for a while, right? In the beginning stages of our pursuits, it's a lot easier to show up. The excitement of what's possible provides a burst of energy and drive. And then we take some hits. Things don't go according to plan. We experience adversity, and that energy begins to wane. Eventually, we give up instead of being relentless and resourceful. This reminds me of a quote from Elon Musk where he says, When something is important enough, you do it even if the odds aren't in your favor. To me, that way of thinking is at the heart of abundance. On an experiential level, hitting a couple of bumps in the roads or dead ends where with limited information, I made up a story. Yep. And I started to tell myself, oh, this was a dead end. I got rejected here. Therefore, nobody nobody yeah. wants to help me or yeah. there aren't many people that want to help me instead of saying, wait a minute, okay, let me tap into the resourcefulness that I have as a human being. And what if I couple that with a relentlessness and a, and a hunger and a drive to like, go get the thing, then I can actually find it. Yeah. But I think, you know, so I wouldn't say it was laziness for me at that point in time. I would mm. say more so it was, I didn't like the feeling of rejection. Yeah. I didn't like the feeling of not getting what I wanted in yep. the in the in the time frame that I wanted. Yeah, that's really good. So then I shook my fist in the air. Yep. Really really from a place of entitlement to say I should have this by now. That's really good, Joe. That's really good. And you know, you're married with a kid and and that's that part of your life's working and and for listeners I'm single and and divorced, you know, and 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 not married with no kids and I think that's, it's, I think it's, so I say that to empathize and say, you know, how many times have I shook my fist at God? Like, why can't I, why can't I find someone or whatever? And, and then you, you go on like one bad date and I hear, you know, when I, when I talk to, I think there's two different versions of this story, but when I talk to women, they're like, Hey, there are no good guys in LA. And mm -hmm. it's because the, the guys that they wanted to like them either mistreated them or didn't like them or whatever. 
And then your brain does what it's designed to do. It generalizes and is a mechanism of protecting yourself. And so you have to intentionally fight against that in order to believe that there are actually tons of fantastic guys in LA or there are tons of fantastic, smart, ambitious, uh, talented, like good character women who want to be with someone like me. But then I think there's a second part of that where to, to have a resourceful mindset isn't just believing that there are people out there who want to help me, but it's also doing the work to become the kind of person that people want to help. You know, that's the, you know, make a list of other things you want in a spouse and then worked hard to become those things. And mm-hmm. I think that's, the, that's another part of the entitlement piece that I think a lot of people, at least I don't always want to acknowledge. I'd rather be resentful that the system is, doesn't work differently. You know, why can't, why can't women be attracted to tall, lanky guys versus going to the gym and taking care of my body, which has lots of other benefits aside from becoming more attractive to the opposite sex. And it is the humbling yourself and saying, how can I become the kind of person that people want to help? And, and how, can I become, how can I become the kind of, I don't like using this language all the time, but how can I become the kind of person who attracts resources? Yeah. I mean, a sort of, of magnet for resources. But I don't, but again, I'm not necessarily into the vibrational stuff. I think- Right, right, right. There might be, (laughs) I'm not saying there's not something there. It's just, I don't really, ironically, I'm not really attracted to that attraction model. But I do think that you, look, there are people that are fun to give gifts to. Even if they don't want it, don't like it or whatever, they just light up and they're so happy or whatever. And those types of people train people how to be generous towards them. And I'm kind of the opposite. You know, like our company got me a Muppet of myself for my birthday. And I was like, I don't like this. <laughs> Take it back, you know. And I can imagine that kind They're of like it's uh, nobody's going to want to buy this. It's a, it's a muppet of you, Jason. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what am I going to do with this? So now it's in the closet. I got there's a muppet of myself in a in the closet somewhere. And uh, we I, need to make a Pixar movie of that muppet. <laughs> oh God, that would be awful. Yeah, uh, and and it is. I think sometimes then I train people not to even try. And I think that's one of the downsides of a non-resourceful mindset is you you expect the world to work out for you without you having to show up. People talk about, uh, or I've heard the, this cliche at least, is the universe is conspiring for, not against you. Yeah, yeah. Right? And part of what I, I think we've talked about so far is there's a way to say that and just sit on your ass. Yeah. Because, ah, oh, well, the universe is conspiring for me, not against me. So all I got to do is sit here and I, I'm just going to receive the gifts. And then there's what, what I hear you talking about is there's a way to believe that and move forward in the world with a generative perspective, becoming a living resource. And then as you do that, it seems like the whole world is forming. I use this metaphor a lot in my own life. I may write a book about this someday, about the metaphor of sailing versus rowing. And so some people are rowers and they love to work hard. They love to sweat. They love to like forge their destiny. They are the captain of their ship. They are the master of their soul. And if the, the waves are high and, and there's no wind, they're going to row and they're going to make it work and they're going to force it. They're going to white knuckle it. And then there are sailors and they're the ones who have probably an abundance mindset. You know, they're the ones who expect life to kind of work out and they have an optimism and, and things just kind of work out. Whatever comes your way is what, what's, what's meant to be. You know, recently I saw a post just like, hey, whatever, whatever is in your life is what's meant to be. And, and I, I think that both of those have their strengths and weaknesses. And I think that certain personality types drift towards one or the other. And I think that it's good for people to develop an appreciation for both to say, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to I'm gonna listen for what 
some people might call the universe, what I usually refer to as God. I want to refer to, I'm going to listen for what God is doing. I'm going to listen for where the open doors are. I'm going to look for where the path of least resistance is. I'm going to listen for where the current is or where the, where the favor is or where the things are just magically happening, where the miracles are. And I want to know how to row. And so that when the miracles die or when the favor doesn't happen or the door is closed, I know how to either move to the next door or kick that door down. Because a lot of people I respect, there's a woman named Jamie who I just met recently who's a billionaire. And she sold her company to, uh, to L'Oreal for like $1.5 billion or something. And she like beat the door down. She got rejected thousands of times and just beat the door down to get on, is it HVC or whatever the home shopping network is? And then when she did, they sold out in the beginning of her career and everything took up took, you know, up and to the right. And she's an incredible human being because she didn't accept, she didn't take no for an answer. You know, like right. she, she just kept going and kept going and kept going. And she, she's a rower. And then finally, when she, her rowboat caught a huge gust, then she ju- it just went nuclear, you know? And I think sometimes people who have the quote, abundance mindset don't want to row. And people who love rowing, which I'm more like that, are nervous to focus on the wind because they're maybe nervous that if they listen to the wind, then they're going to stop rowing or something like that. Well, I think, you know what, and, and maybe that's part of, because I see there's a relationship here, right? What I think what happens to most people is, and maybe I shouldn't say most, but let's just say at times this has happened to me and this is part of what I was talking about earlier is there's been certain areas of my life where I'll put in work and I'm like putting in work and if I don't see results, I start to question whether or not the wind is there yep. on my behalf. Yep. Instead of saying, hey, all I can control is I'm going to keep putting in my work. Yeah. And then and then surrender and trust to the wind when it picks up. Yeah. Because the, the wind will show up. Like that's just the nature of the universe. Like the wind will show up. Am I willing to do the work even when I don't feel the wind? Yeah. I really like that a lot. And I think one of the metaphors that I use sometimes is, am I, am I willing to do the hard work of rowing so I can find the wind? Hey, the wind, like that's what sailors do. The wind is over right. there. Let's row hard to catch the wind. And that's, I think, a really, it's a fantastic paradox to live a, a, a really vibrant life into. Yeah. And, and so, you know, I'll share a story. Please. I don't know. I, I don't know if we, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if you and I talked about this specific story. I think we might have because I love sneakers. I had somebody reach out to me via Instagram and says, Hey, I want you to be the host of a sneaker show. I was really excited about this opportunity. It wasn't something that I even put my name in the bag for. So I want to pause there because I like this story a lot. And this first part is really important because what allowed them to find you? You know, you could say like the universe or whatever dropped that that message in your DM, at the same time, you have done some serious rowing. You, not only do you like sneakers, but the whole world, if they know anything about you. <laughs> they know that I love sneakers, right? They know that you love sneakers. And that's a part of rowing. I think that's a part of attracting the wind is being open about the things that you love and declaring the things that you love and letting people know, like people who are hard to buy gifts for are hard to buy gifts for because oftentimes they're not, no one really knows what they love because they don't ever talk right. about it. They don't ever proclaim it. They don't let, let the world know. So the world doesn't know how to love you. You got to teach the world how to love you. And you've done that. So, you, so you've been posting in a fun way, in a creative way and all this kind of stuff. And then, then suddenly someone slides into DMs and say, hey, I know you love sneakers and you're a good looking guy and you've got hosting capacity. And then, so keep going. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm like, yeah, I would love this opportunity. The only issue is I don't have much on TV hosting experience. 
So she's like, no problem. I'm, I'm going to put you in the mix for this. So she submits me. And then she hits me up a couple weeks later. And she says, okay, it's between you and this other girl. Mm-hmm. And then she shows me this girl's profile, you know, her Instagram. She's got 200 plus, you know, 200,000 followers. Yeah. And she's been on Access Hollywood hosting. She's been on, you name it, like all the list. Yeah. And so this, this, this feeling hits. I can't, like, <laughs> I can't compete with that. Yeah, I'm like, how am I going to compete with this girl? Like she yeah. has the resume and the chops and everything and the talent and the ability in this field. All I do is love sneakers. <laughs> 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 Which is partially true because I'm, I'm a good speaker myself. But, yeah, yeah you know, you're downplaying like a little the bit. Resume, yeah, the, the resume isn't there. So I noticed my first feeling was, well, if it's meant to be, it'll be. That was my, my instinct. That was like my gut reaction. Yeah. Then... Because I know better now, and and I understand that I can actually choose my posture. I n- first noticed what my natural uh, inclination was, and then I said, "No, no, no, that's not the way that I want to show up. Mm. Do I really want this? Yes. Mm. Do I care about it? Yes. Mm. Okay. How can I show up for the thing that I want? Yeah. How how can I set myself apart? What can I do that's creative? How can I take a risk? Yeah. And so I was like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create a video. And I was at camp at the time. And you know, you know, I love my camp kids. So I was with my camp kids and I created this little five-minute video interviewing my camp kids about sneakers. Uh-huh. And Ivan cut it up. And I was like, okay, I'm going to send it to, to this casting director. And she took a look at it. She's like, oh my gosh, I love it. I'm going to send it to producers. So she sends it to producers. And she's like, okay, we're deliberating. I'll get back to you. Two, two days later, she gets back to me. And she says, you got the, you got the job. Hmm. So I was, I was like overjoyed. Now yeah. on one side, you know, what I realized in retrospect is just because I did what I did, didn't mean I was going to get the job. So I, I like saying that. Yeah. But what I love is that I showed up in this way, you know, as I chose to actually fight for the thing that I wanted yep. and not just live in this perspective of, well, it's meant, if it's meant to be. And then, so this is really the kicker for me is on the first day of shooting, a uh, casting director wanted to have lunch with me and she sits me down and she says, I want to I let you in on a little secret. We chose the other girl. Hmm. And she says, it wasn't until you sent us that video that you changed all of our minds. Hmm. And for me, it's noticing that what's meant to be didn't involve me at the time. <laughs> yeah. You know, like the, the world was moving on a trajectory without me in this specific role if I had just allowed what would naturally occur to occur. And then I showed up and fought for the thing that I want by sheer force of will and created something new. So we could talk about from an abund- a place of abundance, believing, yep. Yep. hey, there's space for somebody who doesn't have the resume. There's more than enough room for people to even you know, jump into this area without the expertise. So what if it's me? Yeah. And that's what created that opportunity. Yeah. I really like that a lot. And that that's a beautiful story of the paradox because people can look at you saying, I'm like, people, depending on what part of the story you look at, it's you attracting success versus you co-creating success. You know, if it's just the first part of the story, it's like, oh, wow, they slid into DMs. Lucky Johan. No one ever slides into my DMs asking for X, Y, and Z. You right. Know? But I think that it's there's a healthy paradox there of we show up at 110% and then watch what the wind will do. And there's something really fun about that, you know? And by the way, I, th- you know, I see the, you know, it, it wasn't meant to be. I, again, again, there's, by the way, there's so much foolishness 
on social media. There's so much, I would say probably <laughs> 75% of the memes I see on social media, I'm like, that's either completely not true or that's half true in a way that could really mess a life up. Especially the motivational quotes, but a lot of the memes are 100% true, okay? The jokes are all true. <laughs> no. Yeah, the jokes are all true. Yeah, every, Moist Buddha, everything he has is true. But uh, Yeah, that's right. Every LeBron meme is true too. That's right. But, you, know. <laughs> you know, so just be aware of that, uh, that, w that coaches are reading those memes and their eyes would fall out if they could roll them any harder because uh, it's right. almost always... Most social media posing as wisdom is actually like Tylenol. It's, it's, it's designed to like make the pain go away. It's not necessarily designed to make you strong. Like when you're reading things, read things that, that by embracing you're gonna feel the burn, it's gonna make you stronger. Don't read things that are just gonna make you feel better about your life. My friends, not everyone has to lose. We can win, all of us can win. You see, being creative and generous makes us more prosperous. Being stingy and self-serving makes us less resourceful. The, if I win, someone must lose mentality, it isn't good for us. It's toxic. It may be good for you, but trust me, it isn't good for us. We can't allow this way of thinking to lead us into the future. Imagine a future where our wins make the whole world better. That's the future I want to invite you into. That's a future we can all love. I, I want to die having explored my capacity to healthily, not like in a martyr or burnout way, but to die exploring what I can healthily create in the world. So I think that's part of it. Part two is I really do have a belief that the more generative and generous and creative I am, and the more I can, the more I can have generosity and creativity intersect, the more prosperous I will be. And I think that that doesn't work all the time. You know, so like if it's if we're gambling, and I think it I think it works out seven out of ten times. Seven out of ten times being creative and generous will make you more prosperous. I think three out of ten times you're gonna get screwed and people are gonna take advantage of you and it's not gonna work out. But the thing is, is that seven out of ten is pretty good. And I'll take mm -hmm. the 70%. That's a good, that's a good bet. And and even when I lose, the losses don't offset all the benefits that I get. You know, so like working with a firm. And you know this, you know, because I think it's kind of scary to be a part of our world, especially at the beginning. It's like repelling. You got to trust the ropes. And, and a lot of coaches, when they join our firm, all they see is what they're going to lose. And, and that, that makes total sense to me. I think that for when, when we started the firm, the, the yeah, guy... That was me. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. And when I, when I started the firm with my buddy, both of us were like, oh, you know, I hope this works. But we had this belief that we yeah. could accomplish more together. And so, yeah, sometimes... Working with everybody is a pain in the ass. And I think you could probably say sometimes, Jason, you're a pain in the ass. And, and I think that it's true. I think that working with people is obnoxious and annoying and, and, and uh, frustrating sometimes. Th three out of the 10 times, I'd rather not work with you. <laughs> Seven out mm -hmm. of 10 times, I think it's fantastic and wonderful and I wouldn't trade it for anything. And so I think that's a good bet. And I think that you doing it just for yourself, I think can make you win four out of 10 times or five out of 10 times, but the, the cost is just too much. I mean, do you have any stories about how you developed this value? Like where, when did this click for you to be like, I want to build my life around this? I think there's, I think the click is a long click. Everything with me is gradual. So okay. I was raised in a religious environment and a lot of people, that's a really horrible experience for them. For me, it was really pleasant. And I was taught from a very young age that 
there's this, you know, there's this ancient scripture that talks about how it's more life-giving to be generous than it is to be consumptive. And I think that there's profound, I think the person who said that has a profound insight into homo, homo sapiens and how, how we've been wired and designed. And not that it's not important to learn how to receive, and I think receiving is important, but I think the good stuff, the juice, like if, if someone's listening to this and you want to live an incredible life, if you want to have a deeply rewarding, fulfilling life, almost every faith tradition is going to say, if you want to have a deep, meaningful, fulfilling life, learn how to give and, then, and give from a healthy place. Mm-hmm. And so I think that was, that was this part of the thing. And I, and I think that I had, you know, my parents were really generous and, and liked to volunteer sometimes kind of from a martyr place and, you know, like from a deficit that maybe they gave out of their lack or they didn't necessarily have energy. And, you know, and I'm, I'm grateful for that experience. One is they've grown, they've grown because they're a work in progress too. And I'm glad that I got to see that example when I was a kid, both to know that generosity was valuable, but also to know that sometimes generosity isn't generous. Sometimes it's destructive, you know, so mm-hmm. there's that. But then, and then, you know, you and I were a part of Mosaic and I think generosity is a huge part of their ethos. And there's this idea of being creatively generous. And then like, I just, I gravitate, all the people that I gravitate towards, like Bob Goff, I was just hanging out with him this past weekend. He's written numerous New York Times bestselling books. He's an independently successful lawyer. And what he's known for though, is all the, these wonderful creative capers of generosity that he goes on all over the world. And it's like, I want that guy's life. That guy's awesome. People love that guy. People love helping that guy win because when mm-hmm. he wins, the world gets better. And I think that's, imagine a future where when you win, the world gets better. And imagine a future where we have elected officials where they, if they win, the, the, the whole world gets better, not just half the world that voted for them. Like imagine mm-hmm. a world where you be, we all become the kinds of people where when we win, the world gets better. And that's, that's the kind of people you want to give to. That's the kind of people you want to be generous towards. That's the kind of people you want to do what you can to help win. And that's the world I want to be a part of. Yeah, that's what we're going to create together. That's right. Even right now, as as you're relating to some of what we're talking about, is there any place where you feel like I don't have enough time? I don't have a love, enough energy. I don't have enough. Is there a place where you're like, this is, I'm really working on my resourcefulness muscle, you know, abundance muscle, whatever you want to call it, because it, it often feels like I don't have enough of this. Yeah. Well, that's that's what's exciting to me is a spoonful of generosity helps the receiving go down. So like, I'm pretty exhausted in this season of my life, and I, which means I've never been more motivated. Maybe, maybe it's COVID, but I've never been more motivated to learn how to rest. I've never been more motivated to learn how to be at peace, to not create, to not uh, do, to maybe even not give, uh, you know, mm-hmm. to, to push back, to pull back, to say yes or to say no, and, uh, or to say no specifically. But here's what's exciting about that. One is when I do inhale, when I do take a break, when I do rest, I get all these ideas for new ways I can create and be generous in the world. So resting actually becomes a mechanism for living a generous life, which I really appreciate. So it's important. The more you care about generosity, the more you will care about resting. But I can't necessarily say that about the inverse. I can't say that the more you care about resting, the more you're going to care about being generous. I know lots of people whose generosity muscles have atrophy because they just focus on themselves all the time. Mm-hmm. But if you lean into generosity, if you lean into exhaling, you're going to be forced to inhale. So I think that's part one. Part two is, you know, I a lot of people in the firm, we don't have, we have like revenue goals we want to hit, but also kind of privately, we have generosity goals. 
And having a generosity goal will motivate you more to learn how to create wealth than having a consuming goal. You know, like for me to say, for me to say, I want to have a yacht and I want to have two houses, you know, one in the Hamptons, and I want to have all the bling and all the things, you'll get performance from that. But if a person wakes up every morning and says, I want to be able to transfer a billion dollars of wealth from one group of people providing a legitimate service and then find a way of using that philanthropic philanthropically, that just creates a different kind of energy in your life. And so like I work harder than I ever have, not because I'm excited for a thing that I can buy, but I'm excited to work hard because of things I want to create that are going to be gifts to, to hopefully the world. And so I think that paradigm shift will motivate you to work harder. So then like, as if people feel like they don't have enough money, uh, then, it's, then it's motivating to sacrifice in certain ways to be able to like live within your means, save, invest, those types of things so that you can create and be generous and do those things. And by the way, if people don't have money, I, you know, when I was struggling to, to pay rent, I, there's always ways to be generous. I don't really think that generosity is optional. Uh, I, I can think of extreme circumstances where that might not be true. But aside from that, uh, I think you, you always have time or you have uh, attention or you can be generous or you can be, even if you're like you're working at McDonald's or whatever, you can be generous towards the people who come to the counter by treating them, going above and beyond how you treat them, you know, like giving an extra smile or making their day or, you know, maybe in your heart thinking about one free ice cream cone you're going to give away every day to make someone's day or, or, and trying to inspire people to pay for other people's. There's all sorts of things you can do to be generous that don't cost a whole lot, but actually create a whole lot. And I'd encourage people to do that. Do what, do what you can and then watch how it grows. You were talking about, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of exhausted right now. Yeah. So there's a spot right now that I hear you saying, man, energy feels like that scarce resource. But what I'm doing about it is I'm actually resting more. Yeah. Or, <laughs> or choosing to rest in the midst of it. Yeah, and here's what's cool about that. So yeah, for sure, very tired. And I was just at this retreat in San Diego with a bunch of leaders I really respect. And one of them was talking with me privately and he's like, hey man, you really need to take a break. You need to rest. And which is not what I want to hear. What's really, but what's interesting about that is, and I've been pretty tired this past season, let's say this past year or so. Here's what's interesting is, one of the reasons why I don't take a break is because I want our company to be successful. But the irony of that is, uh, as I've taken steps back from things, it creates a vacuum that then new leaders and, and emerging leaders can step into. And by me actually doing less, it makes the company stronger. And so there's always, and it's not always that way, but there's often this paradox mm -hmm. of the thing that you're avoiding doing to be able to take care of yourself, to make yourself a better resource for others. That very thing is what creates, what, what gives people the opportunity to receive and to, to, to become who they need to be. And so you looks at, yeah. you, you know, so all these fears, you look at yourself as scarcity and it's like, hey, the company doesn't need me as bad as I thought that they did. And it's okay for me to come back. I actually had one guy one time say, Jason, if you don't take a month off of vacation over the course of the next year, I won't be your mentor anymore because you don't realize how you not taking a break is actually hurting the people you lead. And so sometimes doing less is the gift to others. Like do whatever you need to do to bring a full self to your relationships and your work. And it may, mm. you may experience a productivity dip in the short term, but usually there's a long-term payoff for that. And so what's the, because if you know, scarcity is connected to fear, is it the fear, at least when you were more likely to overwork, we'll call it? Is that, is that what we want to define it as? Or? Yeah. And by the way, I, you know, I think if we had more time, we could dive into 
scarcity is connected to fear. I think there's fear in abundance. I think people can misuse abundance through a fear lens and scarcity through a fear lens. And we talked about that earlier, mm-hmm. you know, you can, just because something's scarce doesn't mean you have to be afraid. But for, but for sure, I think that I was afraid. It was that metaphor earlier where I was running hard. I, I, I really did not like, you know, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't afford rent. I was sleeping on couches and things like that. And I did not like that feeling. I didn't like, so I just- and So you're like, never again. Never, never again. again. I will never, yeah. I will never put myself in a situation. This is the internal monologue. I will never put myself in a situation. And for our listeners, maybe it's, I will never put myself in a situation to be hurt by a guy again, or I will never put myself in a situation to be hurt by my parents again, or I never will put myself in a situation to be rejected in an audition again or whatever. For me, it was, I'll never put myself in a position to be poor again. And I think there, that was resourceful for a time, like, like a lot of beliefs. And now it's not resourceful anymore. And actually the, the thing that's keeping me from being able to create more wealth is my fear of not having wealth. It's checking in on our belief that says there's not enough of what, because sometimes that can be a very real thing to be like, hey, I'm right now, there's not enough money and I want to show up hungry. I want to show up dedicated. I want to work hard. And then we get to a place when you were talking about, it's like, actually, I commit to a time where, or a, a marker that says, oh, I'm not in that same place. So now we need an upgrade of the algorithm. And that's one of the things that I love that we're inviting people into is, hey, yep. you're looking at it through the same lens. Yep. You're looking at a new portion of your life, a new time through the same lens from that like 15 year ago when you were going through X, Y, and Z. Yep. So what would it look like to upgrade the way that you're interpreting reality? Yep. Upgrade how you're relating to your existence. Yeah, and most people don't realize it, but most people are operating... Most people's lives are being dominated by beliefs that they've had for more than a decade that no longer serve them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's part, you're right. Part of the work is helping people see what their belief systems are that actually rule them, like Lord of the Rings style that are right. ruling them and how do they take the ring off and, and invent something. Yeah. And that was the thing, you know, for me, I think this is part of why at least noticing my own scarcity, because I, for a long time, and you were a part of it, it, my belief was like, look, I didn't grow up with much. We grew up on welfare. You know, all of like my, my parents had credit card debt. There's like so mm-hmm. many poor financial decisions in my family. Mm. So my scarcity looked a little bit different because I was, I was making money, but I was really stingy. Mm. I'll say like, I, I was like, there's, there's not enough because what I've learned growing up is if you don't keep it, you know, it'll either get taken or, you know, like fill in the blank of all the disasters that occur because you're not kind of hoarding your money. Yep. I like that word better. You know, if we're giving replacements to abundance versus scarcity, I like the idea of resourceful versus stingy. Because that's mm-hmm. that word stingy is a powerful, to me, that's a palpable word. It's like, because a stingy person, a, a scarcity mindset says that there's not, I don't believe the world was going to give me what I need. A stingy person says, I'm not going to give what I have. And that's where I was functioning from, you know, and I started to, well, you know, I started to notice that in me. I developed a reputation for that. Like people would be like, Joe, you know, Johan is, he's, he's cheap. (laughs) You know what I mean? (laughs) Like he's, I, I was, I was generous with other things, but I was, when it comes to my money, no. Yeah. Like I was not going to give my hard earned money that I have, you know, blood, sweat and tears over all that stuff. And then because of this work, A, noticing it, oh, wow, like, how is that holding me back? Yeah. And it was, it was through 
me noticing that and choosing another route that I started to tap into, oh, wow, there is more than enough. Yep. And I have the ability to be a resource for myself when it comes to money. Yep. You know, like I can go create at will. Yes. And, you know, sure enough, when I got married, my wife met a different version because she sees me as a totally different person now. Yeah. Because she's, you know, and I think both her and I had similar upbringings where the belief about money is like, you got to hold it tight because it'll get taken from you or whatever. And and now it's something that I'm inviting her into and and she's growing in and we're growing in together as a couple now yeah. because we both want to live in this idea of resourcefulness, creativity with our money, generosity. But that's not what we learned. Yeah. You know, it, it takes an upgrade. It takes noticing. It takes having a vision for something better. And that's what we want to invite our child into. Yeah. You I, know, Isla is going to be a part of a totally different world because of that. Yeah. I really love that. And, you know, there's something to that too, because with the scarcity thing, I like what you said at the beginning, like some things are scarce, like water. Some things when you give away, it's finite. Other things, when you give it away, it, 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 it uh, multiplies. And an example for me with energy is at the end of the day, I don't want to do anything. I, you know, I'm so tired sometimes at the end of the day. And I just want to rest or whatever. But rest means what? Like sitting in front of the television, watching TV, that never rejuvenates me. And the last thing I want to do is like call a friend and talk. But what's interesting is, so this happened last night. Like the last thing I want to do is is talk to anyone. All I want to do is just be by myself and and eat nachos and watch friends or something. But I went outside on a walk. I, I called a few people and I called my buddy, uh, Mike Abramson and I was just went on a walk and him and I talked for like an hour and a half. And you would think that after that conversation, I would have been exhausted because I, you know, I, I identify as an introvert. I perceive myself oftentimes. And by the way, sometimes introversion is just another word for like relational scarcity. So mm-hmm. I, I, you know, but I had all this kind of stuff and, and, but afterwards I just felt so good and I fell, I fell asleep feeling so good. And I woke up feeling better than I usually do because there was this exchange of energy with this guy who I love and who loves me. And we got to, and we talked about work stuff, which is not why I was calling, but it just felt good to connect with a buddy. And I think sometimes I forget, it, it occurs to me, it's just like going to the gym. You never want to go, but then after you do, you're glad. Mm. And for me, that's that way relationally with energy. And so it's, for those of you who are listening, I want to encourage you to think about the things that you think are draining and really ask the question, but how do you feel afterwards? And then begin testing those things to see if, there's something there. Like, you know, some people think, oh, I don't have any money to give away. Well, just try giving away a little bit and see how it feels. Because generosity is addictive mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and it feels good. And then you realize, oh, wow, this creates energy. And then, then you want to like do, then it gives you energy to, to work harder, to have more to give away because you love it so much. The same way people work up for vacations. We want to make this a, a proactive listening experience. You know, so even if it is, hey, what's the thing that you don't think you have enough of to give away? Or it's like, I can't afford to give this thing away. And this week, give a little bit of that thing away, whether that be your time, some money, you know, whatever resource, you name it. Maybe that's the place of growth for you right now where there's a scarcity or a stinginess around the specific thing. And as you move into the world and say, you know what, this thing's not going to own me anymore. I'm not going to have this belief that runs my life. Let me challenge it. Yeah. Let me put it to the test and see if I survive. Let me see if I'm alive next week when I give some of my time away or when I give some of my money away. You know, what's the, what's the thing you think that you can't have and who can you ask? And get the no, get rejected and learn from the rejection and then see what's there. And, and there's, there's value there. It's kind of a scary challenge. But I, I imagine a world, this is more about generosity than abundance and scarcity, which I kind of, I like that the conversation drifted. Yeah, away. I like that. It's, yeah, yeah, me too. That's more, that's more valuable to me. But you know, imagine, imagine a future where 
Isla and all of her friends practice, and I mean that like the same way you practice playing a piano, practice generosity the same way she's going to take soccer lessons or that she's going to play the piano or she, she practices generosity the same way we tell people to, to practice going to school or dancing in the ballet. You know, like imagine a future where everyone looks at being generous like this sacred art form that really is at the essence of what does it mean to be a human. And I think that would that would create a space where people grow and being resourceful and it would help people get out of their stingy and, and uh, scarcity mindsets in, in a really beautiful way. The posture you take after this episode will shape our future. This transmission is from the year 2057, a world where our relationship to scarcity changed everything. The fears and realities around our water crisis led to resourcefulness and innovation. Our resourcefulness led to abundance and our abundance led to a time of great prosperity for every tribe, nation, and tongue. That's right. This transmission is the good news. It's the beacon of light off in the distance, summoning you home. This new and brilliant world is all possible because of your resourcefulness. Your choices to look at what we were running out of and turning that into what we now have plenty of, water, food, wealth, and freedom. Friends, invest in the world I'm contacting you from. We need you. This transmission is from the future. With love. This year, we're trying something different. We're including a call to action at the end of each episode because we believe the future we long for will be a result of our actions. And this is the invitation that catalyzes it all. Today, I'm inviting you to help someone win this week through your resourcefulness. Write down the name of someone you want to see win in your life. Once you've written that name down, text them and ask them, how can I help you win? I mean, they may not have money, time, energy, or the belief they can win. That's where your resourcefulness kicks in. Get creative, stay abundant, and don't let what's scarce deter you from what's possible. DM me your stories and I'll share them on IG, anonymously, of course. And I can also offer up some coaching on how your resourcefulness can create a better tomorrow. Thank you for listening to this episode of From the Future with Love. We are grateful to all of you for supporting the show during the year that made us all stand still and for sharing our content on social media. Leave us a review and let us know what you think of this episode. Oh, and uh, and follow us on Instagram at Future with Love. See you next time on From the Future with Love. From the Future with Love was written and performed by yours truly, Johan Martinez Kalilian, produced by Rithu Jagannath and Matthew Jones, executive produced by Jason Jaggard, fact checked by Rithu Jagannath, editing, mix and tech production by Hammond Chamberlain, photography by Jess Kaler, and graphic design by Ivan Lizarde. Thanks again, my friends. Until next time.